welcome to the Now There's a Thought podcast. But before we head to the bar, I have an announcement. Next Friday, the 9th of December, we will be recording our Christmas episode and we want your ideas. Tell us what you find weird about Christmas. In your household, in a particular country or region, or just weird about Christmas in general. We want to know your weirdest Christmas facts and we'll feature some of them on the podcast and even send a little Christmas present to our favourites. Get in touch on Instagram at Now There's a Thought or email us at Now There's a Thought at c3gallery.church. Now, fancy a drink? Let's head to the bar. Today, a podcast host, a pastor and a biochemist walk into a bar and ask whether we should edit human genes. As usual, it's not actually a bar, it is my kitchen, but it contains beer and good company, so it will do just fine. Welcome to the Now There's a Thought Bar. I'm afraid you'll have to buy your own drink. Welcome to the bar. We're back in our kitchen bar studio today. It was mm-hmm. great to be here. I'm Louise. I'll be hosting the podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Andy Wadhams, pastor of Gallery Church in Birmingham. Hello. Such a pleasure to be with you all. How very late night radio voice. Thank you very or, much. Um, I don't know. Was it late night radio voice or was it breakfast radio voice? Uh, the lunchtime slot. Oh, it's putting the difference. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest today is Professor Keith Fox. Welcome. Welcome, Keith. Thank you very much for your welcome. Pleased <laughs> to be with you. So you are Professor of Biochemistry at the University of Southampton. That's correct. You're a licensed lay minister in the Church of England. Absolutely. And you have co-authored a recent book called Modifying Our Genes, Theology, Science and Playing God. Yeah, which I did alongside Alexander Massman, who's a philosopher. Amazing. That yeah, sounds like yeah. some very interesting conversations. Oh, um, nice times. Nice times. <laughs> writing with good people, yeah. interesting subjects. Yeah. So uh, I think we've found ourselves an incredibly qualified guest. Yes, um, and it's going to be really interesting to talk about gene editing and ethics and kind of get lost in some comic book style questions that are actually real world questions as well. Um, but let's start by getting to know you a little bit, Keith. Yeah. All right. So I've prepared some quick fire questions that I think will really get at the core of, of who you are and we'll, we'll just feel like we know you after Try this. and see. Yeah? yeah. All right. <laughs> So, let's go. What's your name and where do you come from? So, I'm Keith, Keith Fox. I come from Southampton at the moment. Originally, I was in, brought up in Bristol. Excellent. Yes, it's a bit okay. of a, it's a slight, the slightest of twang. I hope it comes out. I hope the conversation today is so relaxed that the Bristol comes out. It's nearly 50 years since I left Bristol, so the twang has begun to go now. You can drop back in, though. Brilliant. Okay, uh, second very important question. What's your favourite shape of light bulb? Favourite shape of light bulb, whatever it comes, so long as it's energy saving. Ooh. Mm, that's the right answer. Excellent diplomatic answer. Okay, I would like, please, uh, you to tell me the story of your favourite mug. My favourite mug? Oh, gosh, I've got so many mugs I've collected over the years. Um, my, I suppose my favourite one is one, I'm a member of the American Chemical Society, and on the anniversary of joining a member, becoming a member, they used to send you an anniversary mug. Every year? Every year. So <laughs> it only went on, so I have hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, and I think I've got boron, and that then it stopped. Oh, that's brilliant, though. That's very cool. Do, I want a mug periodic table. How many elements are there? Lots. Could someone be... Well, depending on how you count and which are the artificial ones, 103, or it goes up beyond that now. Oh, do they do a different one each year? They, they stopped doing that. Oh, it'd be great, I, wouldn't I, it? I never got past, the say, element number five, I think it was. Oh. Very good. Well, I listen, I, I'm not saying Keith and I are similar... 
but I have an argon mug because oh. I used to work in a school and the school was a science college and the houses, the houses weren't Gryffindor or whatever, they were argon, helium, oh, krypton brilliant. and neon. There was just the four houses. So I have an argon <laughs> mug for very different reasons to Keith. <laughs> that was fantastic. Between you might be able to complete some kind of set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have a favourite word, Keith? A favourite word? A favourite word. I don't think I have, and if I had, I'm sure that somebody would have told me to stop saying it because you repeat it too often <laughs> in your sentences. Yeah. We'll tell you by the end you what will. word is yeah. your favourite. Deoxyribonucleic acid, how's that? That's Which brilliant. Which is d- DNA. Yes. So good. <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, Chris, my husband, were saying to me last night, he was asking me why I was going on about, like, A, G, C and T, and then I was like, it's DNA, love. And he's going, but where, but where is the D and the F? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's what it stands for, a thing. Well, I'll be honest. I'm learning here already. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, okay. Deoxyribonucleic acid is the favourite word. Okay, I have a question about colours of cake. It's very important to me. Mm. Which is weirder for you to eat? Icing that has been coloured bright blue or black? Oh, I think black would be weirder. Mm. I mean, my wife is very good at putting all kinds of ingredients into to various things, cakes or breads. Or, so when she puts beetroot in the bread mix mm, and you, get, you, you have your sandwiches which have red splodges in them, it looks rather strange. Whoa. Mm. That's cool. I mean, I, don't, I know I don't get to answer these. We're finding out with Keith, but <laughs> like, with the um, frozen cakes, you see a lot of Arna blue now. Yeah. In her dress. And football cakes, you see a lot of black icing as well. Yeah. Because of the panels. So, neither. Just give me all the icing. All the icing. <laughs> Just pop you full of E-numbers and see what happens. <laughs> all right, uh, final question. What are your feelings on oboes? Oboes? Oboes. Oboes. I never played one. Uh, but when I listen to one being played uh, professionally, mm. properly, it's really moving. Beautiful. No comments about them sounding like ducks. Um, no. That's it. I feel like we know you now. We can get on with the podcast, unless we have any more questions. No more questions. Just to clarify, we said oboes, not hobos. We did. Are, okay. Different feelings. Might both sound like ducks in the right context. Depending on what's going on. Depending True. on what's going yeah. on. I flippantly say I feel like we know you because we know how you feel about oboes. But... <laughs> um, We'd, we were kind of chatting a little bit about your story and it would be cool to get a little bit of background before we get into yes. genetics. So let's have the fuller version of who are you and where do you come from? What made you get into biochemistry? How did you get here? Okay, so I went to an old-fashioned grammar school and was there on a free place now, in a long time ago. Remember, I'm in my 60s. What is a free place? <laughs> grammar school. I mean, it was uh, funded by the local authority. Okay, cool. Excellent, wonderful, thank you. <laughs> it did mean you were bright, wouldn't it? Wouldn't yeah. That, that would have meant... 11 plus type bright, that's what okay. I was saying. Um, and I was put in the fast stream, which meant you did your O-levels, not which is the GCSE equivalent, a year yeah. early. Mm. And I got bored, mm. really bored. Um, I wasn't badly behaved, just nothing made any sense at all. Um, and in the days when they get proper school reports, which is not just your grade, they gave you your position in the class. In Oof. The, Good Lord. I was close <laughs> to the bottom in every subject oh. um, for two or three years. And uh, then a chemistry master inspired me that chemistry really is fun and I could do it. 
And I went from being bottom of the, pretty close to the bottom of the class in everything, with the next school report was bottom of the class in everything except chemistry where I was top. <laughs> wow. So that was one teacher that completely mm. changed my, my career, really. And once one thing falls into place, everything else did. Mm. Um, I came from a Christian uh, family. Mm. Uh, as ever with teenagers, nothing really makes sense. And my Christian faith started to make sense and fall into place at about the same time as my scientific understanding fell into place as well. So mm. those, to me, they've grown in parallel. That's curious. Amazing. So yeah. developed as a Christian and my understanding of what it means to be a Christian at the same time as to be a scientist and the, the fascination of science. So I'm not one of those kids who, you know, at the age of three knew they were going to be an astrophysicist and were playing with all sorts of things in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not me. I developed in my teens. Wow. So, I mean, not often the story we hear that one would do the journey of faith and science at the same time, parallel, complementary, with their tensions or...? Absolutely complementary. I, I don't ever remember, until I went to university, I suppose, I don't remember really any tensions. Wow. And then, to be honest, at university, I don't wasn't really aware mm. of there were tensions. I mean, there were our things that come up every now and then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've always been complementary to me. I mean, now I'm obviously aware of the tensions and I'll try yeah. and address them and talk to people about them. But they've never been a big issue for me. It's good, isn't it? This is, this is what we need to hear more. More and more and more. Yeah. So it, yeah. If you assume the tension, then you kind of impose it on people a little bit, don't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, they're complementary. They, they work nicely with, it, with each other. Um, so significant part of your life and... <clears throat> common thing between the two of them, I suppose, is discovery and interest and just working out what yeah. this chemistry thing is, working out what this God thing is. Yeah, and truth. Truth, right. Yeah, how, okay. how, how does the world work? How does it really work? Mm. Uh, what is life about? What is, what is true about the Christian message? What is hype? Uh, and yeah. just putting those together. Very cool. Ah. That's what, we, should we just stop the podcast there? That was really nice. Take all the challenges. And now, time for a game. Today we're playing Is It Ethical? So, Keith, you've been working on bioethics. So, my game today is Is It Ethical? Which is not a particularly serious question because I'm going to give you 30 seconds to argue <laughs> whether this object is ethical or not. So,. Andy, you're going to argue why things are unethical. <laughs> okay, all right. Ooh. I never do very well on this, really. So <laughs> okay. you, you're, you're safe. You're safe. Keith, you're going to tell me why all these things are very ethical. I'm, I'm the ethical one you're... and you're the unethical. Okay, yeah. yeah. Look, okay. We'll rephrase it like that. We'll stick it on the social media. Yeah. Keith was the ethical one, just to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to give you 30 seconds each to argue those points and I'll give you an object... Just before How we will we know the thirty seconds up, Louise? Uh, because I will, I will sound my hand whittled whistle. Oh, because it, it just looks like you've got a twig in your hand. Well, it, it was a twig once. Now it's a hollow twig that sounds like a whistle. <laughs> it's really impressive. <laughs> I was very impressed. I learned how to do this at a hen weekend, which is Brilliant. an interesting way to spend a hen weekend. Uh, not the usual. <laughs> well, it was weird, wasn't it? Because you were on Broad Street. Everyone was in Walkabout Bar. Yeah, you were outside just, carving a twig. Just whittling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was curious. <laughs> but, you know, when they came back out, I had a, a method of making myself known to them. Yes, and they all gathered to Brilliant. you. They did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My first my first item. Are you ready for this, Andy? Right, who's going first? I'm going first. You're going first. I don't I'll... know what this item is. No. Keith doesn't know what this item is. Not yet. 
I'm saying why it's unethical. You are. I want to know why sparkling water is unethical, please. Go. Unethical. Unethical. Sparkling water. (laughs) That's so hard. Let's have a think about this. Right. The reason it's unethical. I think, really, I'll say this, because water is enough. And if we want to send any message to anybody that you don't need to keep changing yourself, adding to yourself, the purity of your created being, we need to take a lesson from water that is enough. It does enough to sustain humanity, bring refreshment and do plenty of good stuff. <laughs> Sparkling water has to be unethical. That's the best I could Beautiful. do, sorry. <laughs> oh, that was inspired. Um, Keith, why is sparkling water ethical? And in I'm 30 seconds. St- I am struggling to disagree with <laughs> <laughs> ah, Yes, it was such a compelling argument. A, yeah, it, it, why, is it, why is it ethical? I suppose it, it, it's refreshing, mm-hmm. and that is a, a very positive thing, thing about it. Somebody that encourages you to want to drink a refreshing drink rather than necessarily booze your night, your night away. Um, it goes nicely with plenty of meals, helps the digestion, and generally good for you. I got Lovely. that was good actually. That was good. That was a good angle compared to yeah. other drinks. It's very ethical. <laughs> Absolutely. Nicely done. I think I think it's a win for Keith. That is. I think they were both inspired I, arguments. I, I don't know. I could have even more easily put your argument. <laughs> <laughs> I was complimenting Keith because I thought I had it in the bag. I take back all of those compliments now. I'm furious. <laughs> all right. Let's see if we can. Uh, change change the scales for you andy okay come on um keith we're gonna go first this time so um just to change who gets a bit more thinking time i would like to know from you why sandpaper is ethical starting now sandpaper assumes that you're doing some woodwork let's say and that means that you're you're engaging yourself so it's activity which is ethical um, it probably means that you're using a piece of wood that's rough, so you need to smooth it down rather than throw it away, put it in the, in the uh, well, burn it, even better, recycling it. But it means you, you, you're using something, you're doing something with your hands. Very, very ethical. Beautifully timed. Uh, right. Are you ready, Andy? No, of course I'm not ready. <laughs> For why sandpaper is unethical, starting now. Okay, it's well, it goes back to woodwork class, really. And sandpaper is unethical because it got stolen. I mean, sandpaper itself could be said as unethical, but it but it inspires unethical behaviour between boys who have lost their piece of sandpaper and have stolen someone else's piece of sandpaper. And if we just took sandpaper out of the equation, we would have none of this. And also the final question is, where's all the used sandpaper gone? I don't think it's been recycled. I think it's unethical. Uh, your um, your technology classes sound far more interesting than mine ever were. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> different schools think, maybe. I don't think we ever had sandpaper. You just got splinters. <laughs> <laughs> just to use your face. Yeah. Well, do you remember that machine as well, though? Sanding it's, machine. Yes. Mm, yeah. It was terrifying. Oh, the big I, safety instruction. I once spent six weeks sanding a keyring because I didn't want to use it. <laughs> <laughs> six weeks. You had like two inches to take off this piece of wood, but you didn't want to use the machine. It, well, it was acrylic, but I mean, I, did, I still oh, didn't well. want to use the machine. <laughs> Who wins? Who wins? Who wins? Oh, I don't know. They were both such good arguments. I, I think I think it's Keith again. Yeah, I think you was, can't, was, can't yeah. argue with keeping people's minds and bodies active. Mm. It's very ethical. It's very ethical. Okay. All right. We're back to you, Andy. Right. Here we go. Okay. Why are bridges unethical? Bridges? Bridges. I'm just such a huge fan of bridges. Why have you done this to me? <laughs> Sorry. 
Oh, no. Okay, I know of a bridge that's unethical. In Holland, they spent four million pounds, uh, over four million pounds, on a bridge for squirrels to cross a motorway. They tracked the usage of this bridge, and it was eight squirrels over five years. That was unethical <laughs> use of European money. Fabulous. True story. Those are very expensive squirrels. <laughs> they are. Every squirrel life matters. Well, exactly. Come we can on. have this conversation about maybe they were worth it. No. Yeah. Discuss. Okay. Let's not help Keith out too much. <laughs> You've got your own arguments for us. <laughs> Keith, why are why bridges, bridges ethical? ethical? They're ethical because they bring people together who live in different places. So the community on one side of the river can be very different from the community oh, well. on the other the bridge spans the two and leads to harmony between them. Hopefully, not conflict. They are good for getting transport goods across, people meeting together. No, no just, just for going the next 10 seconds because they're just not need, needed. It doesn't need, <laughs> need them. I'm, for the listener, I'm here with my hands in the air as if to say, <laughs> preach it, preach it. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. That is that is a 3-0 victory, Keith. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> that doesn't, uh, I mean, normally when the when the guest goes 2-0 up, I get the consolation point. But not today. Not today. It's a comprehensive 3-0. <laughs> Bring it on. Yes. Well done, Keith. <laughs> All right, we've got you warmed up on timed explanations. Before we get into the ethics of genetic editing, we should probably talk about why that's a conversation, yeah. which means we need to talk about CRISPR-Cas9, yeah. which means we need to explain what CRISPR-Cas9 Who? is. Who? Yes. It that. sounds like a cooking oil, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you a minute on the clock, Keith. Can you explain to Andy in one minute what CRISPR-Cas9 is and what it does? Right, so we start with DNA, which is probably people have heard of DNA. It's your genetic materials that determines quite a number of your sort of physiological characters. It deals with you know, the proteins that make you up mm. and codes for that. Um, it's made of these four letters, abbreviations, A, G, C and T. Uh, and they act as a code, never mind about how the code works. Occasionally the code goes wrong. Right? And one letter gets replaced to another, and that can have tremendous uh, clinical consequences. You get genetic diseases. CRISPR-Cas9 is like the equivalent of a word processor, where you say, I don't want that bit there, I'm going to replace it with this cut and paste. Mm. So it's a means of being able to cut out a piece of DNA very precisely at a unique location where there's been a mutation, a damage, and replace it with what should be the correct version. Oh, 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 the whistle's back. 58 seconds, come on. Wow, you should do this for a living. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay, one question just off the back of that. As, yeah. a, as a fresh listener, because I've got the idea, um, and I can see how that already is an ethical discussion, um, what stage are you able to do that? Is it in an embryo stage? Is it a... Right, okay. I mean, that's a really important question that we mm. might come on to later. Oh, again. okay, sure all right. But, <laughs> but I can give an answer now if you yeah, want me to. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so you can do it at any stage. Right. Obviously, it's more, uh, I don't know, it's more profound if you do it at the embryo stage because you're doing it to one cell. You have to correct that one gene, yeah. or rather one genome, that one cell, and then that will divide and the corrected form will get propagated. Uh, you can, in theory, do it at any stage. So you could do it to an adult, mm. but an adult's got trillions of cells in their body and you mm. correcting a trillion cells is not trivial. 
Right. Um, okay. It may well be that you can, particularly with uh, blood diseases, you can take out a lot of the, the, the blood, alter it, put it back in again. Yeah. Um, but for many uh, instances of disease, you can't do it easily with an adult. But doing it with, a, with an, an embryo, just that one cell. Yeah. Now, if we can come to the ethics and the risks and all that. But, I get uh, it. Uh, that, that is brilliant. That's two minutes or however long that was in total has put me in the picture. Excellent. That was the aim. And it's, it's super impressive, right? I mean, to talk about it like a word processor helps you understand like the mechanism of it took but to be able to do it on that tiny tiny scale like it's it's not as simple as pressing a key on a computer is it it's not as simple as that but if you're at the principle is the same yeah. so you now you can have a massive document of you know tens of hundreds of thousands of mm. words and you search for that particular phrase and you will find it yeah it's a search and replace it's a ser- and search and replace <laughs> yeah so yeah so the, the analogy is a very good one but the yeah. The amazing thing is, you know, the human genome is three billion of those letters and being able to search out you know, a, a stretch that may be 20 long. Is, yeah. Sounds like looking for a needle in a haystack. Mm. For sure, yeah. Uh, and, and actually being able to home in and do it on that one and not on one that's wow. just similar but not quite the same. Yeah. You now, you know, you've done that with word processing where you want mm. to do it. A cut, a, a cut and replaced one, and you do it to the you get something wrong, and you yeah. replace something else in the document. I saw a report recently from an American author whose um, publisher had done a search and replace on their book before it went to print for the UK, and they'd mm. replaced the word pants with trousers, which sounds completely reasonable. Mm. And this book went to print with the word occupy trousers in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's one. Of, that's a brilliant example of what can go wrong. You're assuming this thing is mm. 100% accurate, um, <laughs> and, and if it's not, you end up modifying the wrong genome, and that that could have massive yeah. consequences. Yeah. Mm. Okay, consequences soon. But first, let's talk about what's possible. Why is this so exciting? What do we want to do with it? Well, it's so exciting mm. because you know, there are a large number, there are probably five to 10,000 of known genetic diseases mm-hmm. uh, where there's been a, a mutation, maybe in one letter, maybe in a few, uh, which has quite sometimes devastating clinical consequences. Mm. The child will never be born yeah. or the child will be born with awful um, uh, disease that means they're going to die within six months to a year, that sort of thing. And so the the possibility of being able to cure that sort of thing, to give life for the reason, is amazing. But, of course, if you can do it to, if you like, a really important gene, you can do it to something that's trivial as well. Now, change, in theory, change eye colour, height, IQ, we'll come to that maybe mm. uh, later on. Yeah. But you can do it for cosmetic reasons. Yeah. Um, Tell me more about that IQ one, sorry. That <laughs> IQ one. Ready with your notes. I, I, I was going to make a note of that. How do I change my IQ? You go to school. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's no shortcut there. Well, actually, I mean, I, I'll put it in some of the talk this evening. There, there's undoubtedly a genetic component to intelligence. Wow. Okay. But when I say it's not a genetic. There's no such thing as a gene for intelligence. It's right. hundreds, if not thousands, of genes that interact together, and every one of them has a very, very tiny influence. Mm. Um, so, it, no, you could never properly change somebody's genome to increase their in, uh, intelligence. So that's sure. where I'm I'm not entirely joking. The way to, to do it is get a better education, yeah. n- not tinker with genes. 
Yeah. Mm. And there's tons of applications out, even outside of humans, right? Did I read somewhere that micro pigs are genetically engineered? I don't know about micro pigs being genetically engineered. I can't answer the question on that one. But yeah, I mean, the, the, this whole technology has been widely used in mm. agriculture, in all sorts of foodstuffs for animals. Uh, for improving livestock, for improving yield, for crops, for animals, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, yeah. the ethical questions probably for doing that are less profound than they are for doing it for humans. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think mm. my, uh, my the wheat in my sandwich probably has a lot less to say about whether it's been genetically modified. Mm. Yes, and with wheat, you can put it all through so, through all kinds of testing to make sure yeah. that it's not toxic. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to have uh, untoward uh, disadvantages on the environment. You can't do that with humans. Mm. No, and we do have an untoward <laughs> impact on the environment. Yeah, yeah, well, you can do. But but no, you can't say, well, let's try it on a human. No. And let's see yeah. if it works. And if it doesn't, well, we'll, we, we won't do it again because yeah. that's dealing with a person. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm. So if we can change our genes... I, mean, I I know we're going to debunk ourselves in a minute and we've already started with that. But hypothetically, we can edit ourselves to have superpowers. Just mm. go with me. <laughs> so, um, what genetic enhancement would we choose regardless of realism? And I realise I've dug myself a hole because I didn't think of one even though I wrote these notes. Oh, genetic enhancement? Yeah, what would you want? Well, there's lots of things that people might want. Mm. Some people might want a genetic change that enables them to live for longer. Or live yeah. forever, for instance. Right. Uh, I think that's a... Live for longer might be possible. Live forever. I don't really think we'll ever do that. Mm. Um, you might want to... If, if we could modify these thousands of genes, you might want to increase your intelligence. Yes. Or maybe your height. Uh, for the list today, it looked across at me for that. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> I think because I'd mentioned it, not because it's a necessity. But what, what would I like? I'd, like mm. I'd, I'd love a change that inc increased my memory capacity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Especially yes. as I get older. What was your name? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I, I'm in the realm of X-Men, really. That's when we're talking, I'm just thinking mutations that give yeah. me superpowers and then give me this difficult, dark story of how I fit in with humanity because if you take my glasses off, I cyclops people. Uh, so struggling really to answer that question properly. I've always liked to be able to stop time, but I don't think that's... Um, I don't feel like that's an internal genetic modification. Yeah. Genetics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can be a psychological situation, but again, that's off realm. No struggling, really. I mean, the, all we can conclude, really, is I'm very happy. Well, that's, that's very nice. Very conclusion. happy. Yeah, with godliness that. with contentment is great game. Well done. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, no, no tail, no sixth toe. But no. you did mention psychology, and I, there is mm. the potential that you could modify brain chemistry. Yeah, okay. Okay. We can make you more virtuous. Yeah. yeah. Genetic Virtue Project. There has been publications on that. How to make people nicer. No. Yeah. God, this is what I was. This is where I was going next. Like, so what's happening right now? And so a project like that is happening and exists. No, it isn't happening. But it's theoretical. People oh, have written on wow. housing. Could could you change? You you say you no. Know, the, the brain chemistry to, to calm people down a bit. Right. And we we do try and do that through tablets. We try it through and tablets. external chemicals. Yeah. But right, at least that's yeah. reversible. Sure. Yeah. Right, yeah, you can stop yeah. taking the pills. Yeah. Uh, and mm. you have a choice of it. Um, to do that in terms of your genomes, kind of, well, it's final. You don't go mm. replacing it one way and then the other. Yeah. 
Yeah, so simply after all of that intelligent discussion, it probably would be to fly. To fly. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Good, good, good. Okay. Yeah, Why not? Wings. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. quite like to teleport, I think. I get very fit oh, up I, oh, I wish I'd have got that. I'm not sure that's genetic either, yeah, but I'd love to do it. No, no. <laughs> Fine, yeah. yeah. A human with wings, I think you could do it. I, I'm not sure that with the physiology and the anatomy and no. the amount of physics would quite work. Get you some hollow bones it. as well while no. we're there. Yeah. yeah. Well, helicopter blades it is then. Yeah, yeah, that'll okay. work. Okay, we'll put yeah. that <laughs> just out the back. Yeah. Okay. Are there any costs? Like, if we actually did these things, if, if we made Andy fly, um, is there some kind of cost to that? Or if we, like you were saying, if we modify brain chemistry, that's, I mean, it's very permanent. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's permanent and it starts to raise the question of just, so what does it mean to be a human? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Humans don't fly. Right. No. Maybe it might be nice if they did, but what... What does it mean to be human? What's special about us? What should, what can we tinker with and still call ourselves human? Mm. And what can you tinker with and we then start to be a different species altogether? Uh, wow. And the way in which wow. we act and relate to each other. And then it starts to say, what do we value in other people? No? Mm. So supposing you, could, you mm. could fly, and supposing we had lots of people who could fly, what would it say then to be valued that those people who were left behind who couldn't fly? Mm. Yeah, rubbish. Uh, They'd be rubbish. They'd be wood. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but I mean, to take that, go the other way. No, it's a really good point. So, yeah. so take yeah. people now who are, if you like, disabled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, if we started to be able to correct that disability genetically. Yeah. Uh, well, are we going to put less money into caring for those who are disabled? Yeah. Are, are we going to say. Really struggle. We, we don't. Actually, Actually, we'd rather you weren't there. We'd rather you were modified so you aren't the way you are. Yeah. So there's wow. all, yeah. Well, you can definitely see a dystopian future at one end of that discussion, can't you? That's definitely. Yeah, yeah we have what might be called, an, uh, to use the phrase, an ableist society. Yeah, now, for sure. So yeah. uh, we only value those who can do something or are able, yeah. and if, rather than valuing people for just who they are. And if they've not chosen to or couldn't afford to, correct a disability that was available for them in the future. Yeah. We have a real... Yeah, or the parents are told, why are you yeah. bringing a, a disabled child into the Huge. world? Because it's wow. going to be a drain on society's resources. Wow. Mm. And uh, that's a, a really awful view of the value we put on a human. So is this... Are we almost getting... Is this the conversation, really, that's happening or happened or...? This, this is the conversations going on. So right, wow. At, at what stage is this, I feel like, a medical procedure that is, I feel like, a healing? Sure. Uh, and Christians have been involved in healing and treatments for years. Mm. And what stage is then this cosmetic? Right. And what stage is it reinforcing what you might call social norms? Okay. So okay. it'd be the genetic equivalent of the nose job or the breast enhancement or whatever the latest cosmetic yeah. thing is. Why do people have those done? Well, it's because social norms mm. have said, well, you've got to do that to look beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And we end up with the genetic equivalent of reinforcing those sorts of things. Cool. Very good. We're deep now. So yeah. you take you take a gene that's yeah. how you get you know, get less cellulite. So right. Know, so you don't need to have the cosmetic surgery to get rid of the and why? Yeah. But, but what? But why? And why do we need to? Why do we feel we have to? So it's because we feel we're valued mm. from what we look like, from what we can do, rather than valued because of who we are. Mm. 
and it asks the question as well like who who makes that definition right i mean if you if you watch the superhero films it it seems like that's all imposed by some kind of secretive government agency which you know if you if we did have the superpowers thing like you you'd also have that consideration of well you've got this ability but we're now going to spend all of our time like testing you or keeping an extra eye on you mm. um but actually in our societies a lot of them it's not necessarily governments making these decisions about what the expectations are of us, is it? But those expectations still manage to exist. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and who controls who should be allowed to do that? Is it government? In, you know, if you take the US health system, it's insurance companies effectively mm-hmm. dictating what it is. Is it the parents? No. Mm. Parents are making decisions for their children already, what school they go to, what yep. sporting activities yep. they yep. do, yep. even in, in utero. Yeah. The mother's making decisions, do I drink, do I smoke, all those sorts of things. Mm. Uh, and, and this is another decision that's been made on behalf of a child who was not yet born. Wow. Yeah. And the very far-reaching one. Yes, I mean, imagine, take yourself back to your teenage years and, and imagine your teenager who's been genetically modified when you're in, you, in, in an embryo. And the teenager saying to you, but you did that to me? Mm. What? How mm. dare you? Mm. Yeah? Oh, that's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poof. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But having said that, we're still, we still have human choice. So you could modify uh, an embryo so that the child would have greater athletic ability. They've got different muscle m- mm. makeup. But if the child chooses to be a couch potato, it's not going to make any difference. You've got to work on the genes that you've got anyway. Yeah. 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 So genes by themselves don't make a human. It's genes plus the environment and the people we work with and the people we interact with and the things that we mm. do that make us human. So yeah. what would be uh, what would be the most? So we're saying, oh, don't get that cosmetic surgery. Society. So that's the one side. And the other side, maybe. What's the most contentious examples that might be existing at the moment in this conversation? I think most of them, because genetic modification in humans, there's effectively a moratorium on it completely. Right. It's all this, if you like, is pipe dreaming, it's science fiction. Hypothetical. It's hypothetical. There has only been one case where a rogue scientist, a Chinese scientist, modified the genes of embryos and implanted them, and so say a couple of twins were born, that he'd modified them so that they couldn't be... Uh, infected with HIV. Right, okay. Which is not really a therapeutic need because there's plenty of other ways of making sure you don't get infected with HIV. Mm. Um, So that's the only case in which it's been done. And actually, because it was done illegally, it's it's never been scientifically published. Um, The the, the data really aren't there out out there. It's word of mouth. Mm. Um, But otherwise, there's a... I mean, agreed with scientists religious people, ethicists, moralists, whatever, that there's a moratorium on it. Don't do it for the moment. Yeah. But at some stage, somebody right. might do. Mm. Yeah. And so this this is science fiction, which is, I think, it's great to think science fiction. And I think it's really important to do so because what is today's science fiction mm. easily becomes tomorrow's science fact. Mm. And if you don't watch, watch out, you're trying to catch up afterwards rather yeah. than think in advance. Yeah. Very good. I remember watching Buck Rogers in the 21st century and they were walking around and they had this 
communication device in their hand. They could video call each other. They could do locations. <laughs> they could do everything. And I thought, whoa, whoa, one day, and here we are. It's called an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you're right, you know, it's interesting. But this is, when you say there's a moratorium, that's at the embryonic stage, right? It's, at the embryonic are, stage, yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. like sickle cell treatments and stuff. There, adults. there are sickle cell treatments that have been tried for adults, yes, certainly. I mean, sickle cell is an example of that. Thalassemia is probably another one. There, there are a few that are out there. The trials are very, very small at the moment, and mm-hmm. there are only a few people who have been tried on it, but with some success. Mm. Amazing. So this is the kind of dilemma, isn't it, that it's like, well, yeah. you know, because we, we're talking about, oh, this is what could go wrong if we start um, editing people's genes, but also how can we help people and, and where do you draw the line between which is which? Yeah. And, of course, if you're doing it with an adult, you're only doing it on that one person. It's not taken yeah. on to the next generation. And you assume if you're doing it with an adult, they have a choice. Yeah. yeah. It's their, their decision. They know the risks that they're go, going through in that. Yeah. Uh, the consequences are much less severe. If you're doing it for an embryo, not only are you risking that embryo, but you're risking further generations all the time down the line. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, blimey. And that's when it starts to kind of build up in society and we're talking about these societal shifts as well. And who has access yeah. to it, who yeah, doesn't yeah. have access to it. Is it actually a good thing? Because you were talking about potentially um, enhancing memory earlier, but there's arguments why that might not always be a good thing, right? Well, there are times you want to forget. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and we do that. But Some people do that naturally with trauma, don't they? Yes. Like almost just process and forget. Yeah, well, post-traumatic syndromes yeah. or whatever it is where you don't forget when probably you, it, yeah, we, it would be good to be able to yeah. do so. Yeah, so forgetting is it, it, it is important. But I'd love to remember a few more things. Yeah. yeah. What was the question? <laughs> it's a great joke twice. Nice. I love that. Well, you know, we don't know what kind of memories the listeners have either. <laughs> no, it's true. They're still here. Who are listeners? Is it? Oh. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're trying to work out where this line is between when are we helping people when are we potentially not? And who are we helping and who are we not? We might help one person and hinder another. Um, how do we work this out? Because the technology is brand new and we haven't used it. Yeah, and we we don't know at the moment, to be honest. Okay. Uh, and this is where we need to have conversations going on between all sorts of people. Rather than just being out there, can you do it? Yeah. I think the social pressures are going to be great. The scientific pressures are going to be great. Yeah. No, no, the reward, or if you like, the kudos for being the first scientist to do this yeah. would, would be great. I Huge. mean, was this Chinese scientist? I mean, he's known, he's widely known across the yeah. world for misbehaving. What they say, it's better to be known for murder than not to be known at all. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so the kudos that goes with that mm. for, for, for the scientist. So that's why having a moratorium is a, a really good thing for the moment. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit taken with this Chinese scientist and i can't help but feel in the bond villains of old there's got to be other labs in the world doing stuff well i won't go into any of the details but there are various uh things going around as to what pressures he might have been under what not pressures what encouragements uh, he might have had from other groups that maybe he misinterpreted them maybe overstepped the mark maybe they pushed him too hard maybe there were misunderstandings in that Um, But there's no doubt that there are other labs who were interested in that. Yeah, and that's all we can say legally. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We've not spoken to the lawyer. We're just trying to keep it safe. But it's got to be in there. I mean, oh, have I watched too much James Bond, really? 
when we're talking about societal pressures and the societal pressures that we might have to edit ourselves or to edit mm. children, that the societal pressures exist on scientists as well, right? I mean, oh yeah, I humans. mean, scientists have got egos. Yeah, no, yeah. and, and yeah. They, they they try and behave ethically and properly and do things that are people's advantage, but they've got egos. Mm. Mm. What's that term that's saying? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. It doesn't mean you should. And I think we're trying to have that... Uh, I say we, I'm not in the conversation, <laughs> thank goodness, but we're trying there's to have a, that conversation before we can. There's a lovely book, I'd say lovely, it's a kind of, I don't know, the sort of book you read on a transatlantic flight called yeah. Perfect People by Peter James. Right. Um, and it's a science fiction story uh, yeah. of a couple who had had a child with a genetic disease that had been that had subsequently died, mm. and being screened so that the next child would not be, and being told, "No, we'll do that modification to make sure it shouldn't happen." Wow. And why are you doing that? Why didn't you at the same time modify for this and for that and for mm. the other? Whilst you're in the shop, and I'm not going to give a spoiler for the book, but it, it, it takes you through. So it's perfect, Gosh. people. I think the subtitle is Be Careful What You Wish For. Yeah, OK. Well, I got it. Yeah, that's got us. Mm. In the show notes. Yeah, it is already. Uh, <laughs> tinkering away. On it. I, I thought it was a good fun read. Mm. And uh, it, it, I mean, it's not written from any particular moral or spiritual or Christian perspective. It's just mm. a, a, the thought a, fun, experiment. A, fu a fun read and a bit of science fiction. Mm. That, um, I wasn't expecting the final chapter. Interesting. <laughs> So we learn from, because we haven't done it yet, we can learn from conversations, we learn from thought experiments and art. Yeah. Is there anything history can teach us? That's a good question. Of times when science might have overstepped them. I mean, in terms of history, I think the whole eugenics movement teaches us something mm. about what, what we include and what we don't include. Sure. Um, you know, from the, you know, the the 19th century, particularly in America, they'd almost have eugenic fears where uh, you'd be... being terrifying. Yeah. Help, so, help but, me out here, what's eugenics? So eugenics, if you like, is, is breeding people with special characteristics. Okay. Um, so it, it, would, it was a flawed piece of science, but the idea is that, you no. Know, Intelligent people marrying and having children with intelligent people tend to have intelligent children. Right, OK, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there are all sorts of things they assumed were inherited uh, from, uh, well, things that we would say now are caused by societal mm -hmm. ills, oh, right. not by genes. Um, oh, okay. So there was a kind of phrase that says, no, you take all this care about making sure that your livestock breathe breed properly but you don't care about those sorts of things for breeding humans wow good comms piece of ever Whoa. Wrote that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously so that, like on a personal level it feeds into who we encourage to have children and not and it gets well, yes, very and it, it, get very into your personal life there enforced sterilization so there, there were in places was it one american judge three generations of imbeciles is enough he says Yes, uh, yes. And this is back in the 1920s, I think. Mm, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I've used America. We had similar sort of things in this country that were never enforced in quite the same sort of way. Wow. But then you get to you know, the uh, Nazism mm, mm. Uh, and uh, the Aryan race. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, what is a perfect human and what, 
and you get in all kinds of minefields with that. And now that's not to say that genetic modification is that sort of mm, yeah. eugenics, but you can see how we'd learn from history, how we begin to despise some people and appreciate yeah. others on the basis of things that really aren't important. Yeah, and just right saying now. that, you know, what those people, you know, we can disagree with how they went about it and say, well, this is a different way, but also to see what kind of human they wanted to build that was their perfect person mm. and our ideals have completely changed mm. yeah yeah and and society's views have, have have changed over the years and now we are more accepting of people who feel like don't fit the norm sure yeah which yeah. i'm very grateful for yes yeah. exactly <laughs> okay so what do we do about all this keith you've obviously spent quite a lot of time working out what your own conclusion is for where you stand can you is there any way you can give us a brief overview of that or do we all need to read the book Read the book. Definitely. More importantly, buy the book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> buy the book even if you don't read it. Um, Excellent. That's the um, most honest point we've had. Make yourself look really intelligent. But, but please read it. Yeah. And I, I think it's actually talk with people. I mean, scientists talking to non-scientists and, and people just bringing it into conversation. It, it's so important so that we begin to understand the things that are at stake within this. My own view is that modifying an embryo for a serious disease is actually an act of benefit. And how are you defining serious disease? Well, then that's the, that's the next question, is what mm. is serious? Yeah. Clearly, to my mind, if, the, if it would never lead to a full term and a, a birth, then actually we're giving life where there otherwise wouldn't have been, which sounds like yeah. a good thing. Yeah. If it's one of those diseases, and we've seen some tragic ones in, in the media which have ended up with the lawyers and the High Court making yeah. decisions, which is tragic. This Kids is, on life support kind of yeah, thing. This yeah, this is, I mean, this is personal tragedy. Yeah. And yeah. we make a media circus out of it, which is awful. Yeah. Um, for those sorts of things, if we could predict in advance and modify that, I think there would be a, a, a good argument. Yeah. When it comes to dealing with things that happen later in life, I'm not quite so sure. Sure, because some, some diseases are definitely genetic, so you would know about that and you could edit that. But sometimes there's a genetic... Um, risk factor. Risk factor, thank you, yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, so something like uh, breast cancer breast has Breast cancer is the best example, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You have the BRCA genes, the breast yeah. cancer genes, that doesn't mean you will get breast cancer. It means that the likelihood... Very high likelihood. Well, sometimes it's not even a very high... But no. the likelihood, it yeah. is dramatically increased, especially if you can, if there's a familial uh, trend that shows mother and grandmother and great-grandmother mm. also had breast cancer, then that, that's a good indicator. Uh, but you don't know. I mean, there are uh, diseases that appear later in life, Huntington's disease. Mm. Now, if you've got Huntington's gene you will get Huntington's disease. Yeah. That's not a, a, just a risk factor. There might be some variability when you get it. Is it in your 30s, 40s and 50s? Um, but you live on... Most of those who live a perfectly normal life for mm. tens of years. Mm. Should we... if Should we modify that genome? Oh. And that's, that's getting into a grayer area. Uh, is to, uh, where do you draw the line? And there mm. isn't. There isn't. I don't think there's a clear boundary that says you should, you should, or you shouldn't. And that's why we need the conversation. For sure, and a difficult conversation to have because this is deeply personal for the people who are involved. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. A huge amounts of suffering, either way, whichever way you go, potentially. Yeah, I've, I'm just intrigued by your personal morality. So, um, the scientific community will have its own 
codes and ethics and thoughts. You have a faith as well. Where do you, who do, who do you check in with? Do you check in with anybody? Like what, what's your, I suppose, where, where do you think, where, where do your morality come from, really? I mean, as a Christian, it comes from the whole basis of, of who, who I am mm. and in made in the image of God. Now, we might debate for a long time quite right, exactly yeah. what that means, yeah. but there is something special that says that every human being is made in the image of God, mm. not just the special ones, not just the mm. intelligent ones or the rich or the powerful, but every human being is made in the image of God. And to some extent, that's an act of grace that God gives to us. Yeah. Uh, irrespective of how physically or mentally able uh, you are. Mm. Uh, and that, if you like, is a guideline, that we're starting with a precious person who is special in God's sight. Wow. And not, obviously not all of the scientific community will share that um, measure with you. Um, so that's really interesting. So it gives you a clear and defined start point, doesn't it, in yeah. the conversation? There are plenty in the scientific community who have very ethical views on that. Of course, and yeah, said, no, yeah, we're dealing yeah. with people, and mm. you, you can't just ride roughshod over people. Good. It's yeah, the, yeah. They're, they're very special. Yeah. But the motivation for the Christian comes in terms of that relationship with God. Mm. Interesting. Do you find that um, there are unethical people uh, in the realm? Not the you, know, you can't name names, for example, <laughs> but they just say, forget in the name of progress, we need to do this. More than oh well, uh, I, I will name uh, an Eastern unethical, not philosopher. What's his background? Stephen Pinker, right? For instance, who you may have come across, uh, is quoted as saying the best thing that bioethicists can do is to get out the way. Um, now, just let mm. pr- now forget Eesh. things like dignity and sacredness sure. and all that. Just, just well. let it take its course. It's easy for the person saying it, less easy for the person on the other end. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So I can name Stephen Pinker because he's in, in, in print of saying yes, that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Published yeah. in the Boston Globe, I think. Well, there you are. Okay, that, well, that's interesting. I find that, as a pastor, I find that a really interesting po- point, you know, and just going back to that. Well, we can, should we, you know, and soon we'll be able to, should we. Yeah. You know, so, you yeah, know, grateful for the conversations. And there are those who say we can, so we should. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. If, you, if you don't try, you're never going to find yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there Very are good. times when you think, I mean, it's the whole bioethics thing. Uh, if yeah. you like, there, there is the, some people will say the yuck factor. We shouldn't do that because it's just so awful. It just sounds terrible. And yeah, the other okay. extreme, there's the wow factor that says, well, this is just so exciting. I'd love to find that. Like Find it out, yeah, no? at whatever cost. What would, what, what would a human chimpanzee hybrid <laughs> being oh, look like? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know. I've got a few... no, 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 yeah, no. no. I don't want to love to know that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to play football with a guy actually who um, <laughs> might answer that question. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now you're stereotyping. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, in, in terms of the yuck. And, mm. I'm old enough I can just about remember the first heart transplants where people would say, yeah. oh, yuck, how can you possibly have wow. somebody else's heart? Mm. Uh, so you shouldn't let the yuck dictate your morals any more that you should let the wow dictate them. There has that's, to be some higher principle. That's superbly helpful for me. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. So the question really then, if we need to have these conversations, is how do we create the spaces... Because I mean, you're not the first person I've heard say that we need these 
conversations. I was listening to a podcast with Jennifer Doudna, who's one of the yeah. minds behind yeah. CRISPR-Cas9 in the first place. And her saying, well, you know, I'm a scientist, I'm not really an ethicist, but I kind of realise how powerful this is. And therefore, I kind of need to get involved with this conversation. Um, but where, but where is that conversation? Who, who's included? How do we, mm. how do we make it happen? Yeah, I mean, partly, I think it, it's actually just talking on the street with your friends. But then that needs to then feed up through. Uh, yeah. Um, so that the politicians and the lawyers and the, 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 the professional scientists are hearing that. And I think increasingly, scientists are very concerned about the way the public perceive them. And there's much more public engagement with science than, than there was even, even 10 years ago. Great. And to get engaged with those conversations when scientists put on uh, shows that say, this is how the wonderful things that we can do, the wow experiments, is actually getting engaged with those conversations. Mm. Just not finding it intimidating. Ask, asking questions, I suppose. And you start seeing long strings of letters and numbers that you've never seen before. <laughs> Don't go, oh, that's not for me. You go, what does that mean? Well, absolutely, yeah. No, and for scientists can't explain it. One way or another, um, what's going on, then there's... No, well, then not that no, so they can't explain it. They must explain it. No, that they have to keep the general public informed as to what they're doing. Yeah. All right. Do you have any predictions for what the future of gene editing looks like? Ooh. Um, I'm, I'm a pessimist, is it will happen. Yeah. Um, there will be enhancements done. There will be the super rich who can afford to have this sort of thing done. Mm. I wish it wouldn't, but I'm afraid I think it will happen. Yeah. Whether it will happen in my lifetime, I don't know. Mm. But it, it will happen. There's no doubt in my mind it will. But I think we need to think beforehand as to how do we treat those people ha who have been genetically modified. Yeah. And the answer is that they're still human. Okay. Right? They got all this, they've got a different set of faults, maybe, the physical faults to what I've got, but they're still human and they're still made in the image of God. They're not freaks, yeah. they're yeah. not museum pieces or zoo animals, they're human. Mm. And we we determine beforehand, before these people are ever born, that that's how we're gonna treat them. Yeah. We circle back to your plumb line there, really. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Great, great to take away. And then final question for you, Keith. Well, maybe not final question, but final question on this sub subject. What, in terms of future, what are you working on now? Mm. What am I working on now? I retired a couple of months ago. So I'm at the moment <laughs> in that stage of working out just what I'm going to do. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm very keen to carry on being engaged in this sort of conversation from a, a Christian ethical, scientific perspective and uh, you know, write and debate these sorts of things. Very Amazing. good. Practising what you preach there. Everybody have conversations. What are you going to do? I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to have conversations, <laughs> yeah. It's good. Well, one of the answers we had was I'm working on a jazz album or something, so... Um, folk, yeah. it was folk. Was it folk, was it? Was it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not working on that. That's no, just, that's fine. No. Okay, just yeah. checking. Because <laughs> we'd like... Because if you are, we'd like to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we really would. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm getting involved at, with, with the moment with a charity that deals with the spiritual needs of the elderly people. Oh, wow. So uh, that y you see some of the maybe it's genetic things that manifest in old age. Oh. No, yeah. going into care homes for those who've got severe Alzheimer's. Yes, yes. Okay. So that's a that's maybe good. that's a downside to to, to 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 finish on. But <laughs> to get, but you're but, making something positive with it. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Amazing. 
All right. Let's do obscure headlines. And that was a deliberate pause in case we decide to cut it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Did you bring an obscure headline, Andy? And please don't steal mine. Uh, I did. I did. I've got a few obscure headlines, so I won't steal yours because I can name three. I'll just go for one. Yeah. This was mine. (laughs) It actually, does it fit? I'll let you guys decide. Um, But this was it. Chalk horror was the headline. Is there such a thing? Chalk horror. Can you imagine what that's about? Celebration tubs. Oh, my goodness. Bounty bars have been banished from celebration tubs because 39% of people don't like them. I read this. That got me thinking that 61% of people do like them. Yeah. Is that not enough people to like them, to keep them? And did they survey the Mars bar and the Milky Way, which I know gets a lot of bad press. I know it's a gimmick and we're talking about it, but I just thought, what a move. And is it, you know, it feels like an episode of Black Mirror, really. (laughs) We're talking about, like, enhancing your memory. There's uh, an episode of Black Mirror where they can rewind what they've seen. And then they prove each other wrong in arguments and humanity goes, like all Black Mirror episodes, in a really bad way. I feel like we're not far away now. We're not far away. telling me what chocolate I'm allowed to eat. I know. Bounties have been taken out. Not all of them, all of the tubs, but quite a few of the tubs, yeah. Really disappointing. Choc horror, indeed. It is. (laughs) It is. I feel very strongly. Yeah. Um, Not obscure, though, but, yeah. I'll tell you what we could do off the back of this. Oh. You've got a tub of celebrations in front of you. Okay. One pick and one pick only. What are you having? Malteser. You're going for the, the lighter way to enjoy chocolate. Uh-huh. Go for the Mars every time. Go for the Mars every time. Very good, yeah. I'll go for the green triangle. I don't know how it got in there, but it did. It got in there. <laughs> mixing the tubs of chocolates in your house. All right, my favourite headline I came across when I was looking at this was Danish artist hides trolls deep in Western Australia. And that was the end of the headline. <laughs> <laughs> did you read on I did, I did you did oh good <laughs> but it's it is as uh, whimsical as it sounds this guy um is a recycling artist and he's built loads of like huge like three or four times the size of people trolls and he's put them out in in various areas of western australia and some of them he's told you where they are and you can go and see them yeah yeah and some of them are secret and some archaeologist in a few hundred years' time is going to wonder what on earth we worshipped. <laughs> like, There's evidence of a civilization here. Yeah. And Western Australia is massive. Yes, it and is. sparsely populated. Tremendous. Tre- <laughs> no one's going to find them. That's what we need in a fuel crisis, isn't it? <laughs> I would try. That's amazing. Do, 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 how many trolls? How many? I can't remember, actually. And are these real-life internet trolls who deserve to be dumped in a, <laughs> dumped in a big field somewhere? Yeah. Uh, and he really loves fairy tales, so he wanted to make trolls. Oh, that's lovely. That's good, isn't it? Fantastic. <laughs> You're, you know, Keith, you've recently retired. Any plans to do <laughs> such a project? <laughs> no, just um, that's a bit beyond me. Yeah. <laughs> Building yeah. trolls in Western Australia. Do you have an obscure headline? I don't have an obscure headline. Not, I mean, within the whole GM thing the, the phrase franken foods is one that mm. you oh, sometimes like that. and you've got to be careful of how you i mean that's that just sounds so loaded as mm-hmm. soon as you put that on yeah uh, it does yeah franken foods yes green uh, and stitched together is right I mean, you've, yeah. you've kind of closed down the argument before you've even started it as soon as you yeah you as soon as you put yeah yeah <laughs> It's a good prefix, isn't it? Franken, whatever Franken you anything. want. Yeah. yeah, some of my omelettes could be described as that, really. <laughs> just every leftover from the fridge goes in. <laughs> yeah. It's just option. Yeah. Amazing. 
Well, that was fun. Keith, Very thank fun. you for joining us. It's been super insightful. Thank you. It's Thanks, been Keith. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Value for money with Keith. Yeah. Good stuff. I don't think we've said that about any. I don't know why I've said that. We've never said that before. <laughs> but good with, stuff. With the money coming to this? Sorry, what? Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned the wrong thing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to send us your weird Christmas facts before Friday the 9th of December. We'll be picking our favourite responses to feature on the podcast and sending out Christmas presents, so get involved. Send that and any other questions or comments to us on Instagram at nowthersathought or by email to nowthersathought at c3gallery.church. They both look exactly like now Teresa Thought, but that's just a happy coincidence. If your name is Teresa and you'd like to help us live up to our Instagram handle, please get in touch for that too. Do also have a look at Keith's work or catch up on his Science and Faith in the Second City talk. The link is in the show notes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our Christmas episode, so don't forget to follow us on your podcast app so you get a notification. And don't forget to tell your friends if you enjoy the podcast. But not if you don't. That's no help.